It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And we are live with the Standing Room Spartans podcast. Your host, Kevin Parker, your co-host, Scott Martin, as always here. Fall camp is upon us. We've started to see some clips, some pictures coming out of camp. I know the the beat reporters are are really only getting access to the first like 10 minutes of practice. So we're not really getting a whole lot of nuggets, but we at least get some pictures, which is nice to see the guys back out on the practice field, to see Mel with the bucket hat and uh, looking great out there. So, Scott, uh, we're recording here Sunday morning. I know you're you're back in Michigan this week, but uh, how are we doing today? Good, yeah. The rare episode from Michigan soil is exciting. It's thunderstorming, which is also exciting. Um, yeah, excited to uh, finally be back in fall camp and inch and closer day by day what is today is Kari willis i believe yesterday was Kari willis today will be clinton jones uh number 26 people listen to this it will be 25 which i think blair white is 25 off the top of my head so fan favorite blair white yeah we'll have to uh now follow along on twitter for all of that at standing room msu Scott is at Spartan Martin 18. We've had a lot of fun. I do. Um, we've been doing the countdown since day 99. I did miss one day for the first time. Uh, it, it was a crazy day for me, like work and, and life wise. And it just totally slipped my mind. So, uh, you know, my apologies to, it was William Cooper. Um, he got posted a day late. But uh, I know he appreciated the shout out either way. So uh, shout out William Cooper again for that uh, former Spartan dog. And uh, yeah, we got a lot of stuff to get into today. As we start to preview these positions, we're going to hit the quarterbacks here today. Um, I I think we mentioned on a a previous pod, but just in case we didn't, basically how we're going to do this is the position breakdowns you'll see. On the podcast, it will be more conversational, more kind of narrative driven, and we'll post on the website something more, I guess, statistical, more of a a true kind of breakdown so that I think the audio format isn't great for throwing a lot of stats at you, for throwing a lot of numbers, because, you know, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and when you're listening while you're driving, while you're walking, while you're working, it's kind of on in the background, and 
two minutes go by that you're not really focused and you missed, you know, a whole statistical breakdown. So I, I think the, the, the website is going to be a better platform for that. So on the podcast here, it's going to be more conversational, more, more kind of narrative driven. Uh, so we'll hit on the quarterbacks here this week and today. Um, I got a Phil Steele college football preview and I got some thoughts about his Michigan state football takes. We'll get to that. Uh, before we get to all of that, though, we got a little bit of recruiting news. Scott, if you want to walk us through what's going on in the program here. Yeah, well, today, um, as we're recording, Sunday is the official commitment date for Jaden Mango, who has had a lot of smoke around uh, Michigan State. He was originally linked to West Virginia, I believe, yep. uh, for a long time. But, uh, yeah, it looks like the crystal balls are getting more and more confident as we move closer to commitment time for him. By the time this drops, we will have a decision. Sounds like, knock on wood, it will be Michigan State. So, uh, hopefully, you know, by the time our listeners hear this, we'll be celebrating that one. And I believe that should pull our recruiting class rankings, if you believe in such things, up into the top 20, which is just astounding thinking about that from where this program is at at the end of last season to pulling in a top 20 recruiting class potentially is, I mean, to a degree, hard to believe. Um, and it's validating what everyone said when Mel Tucker was hired, that he still needs to win games on the field. But what you're going to get out of him is a very, very, very talented recruiter and it's already paying dividends. So really exciting time uh, to be finishing up this class. Yeah. Mangum four-star athlete, Offers from Alabama, from Florida, Florida State, Miami, Michigan, Notre Dame, Oregon, Penn State. is a, a really sought-after kid, and, and this would give us our third composite four-star player in the class. And then that's not including a guy like Kaden Hauser, who is a tw- who is a 24-7 four-star. The composite still has him at a high three. So if you believe uh, in such things, as you mentioned, Scott, that would give us three borderline four four-star guys in this class which it does seem crazy to say in in year two of a new coaching staff uh after going two and five it does seem pretty crazy to be pulling in uh this type of talent right away so it's it's a really exciting time man and and I think we can all say that as we look at some of these pictures again from fall camp and you you look at some of these transformation pictures with the the weight program, like the one that was buzzing around the other day was Deshaun Mallory, who just absolutely transformed his body. We were joking about a bunch of these, like a lot of these body transformation pictures we've been seeing on social media from the team. It's, it's not a huge difference when you really kind of put it under the magnifying glass. Maybe they're flexing a little bit more it, it seems like a little bit photoshopped, uh, but Deshaun Mallory's was a pretty clear, like baby fat, chubby to six pack ripped. So whatever they're doing up there, I just hope they keep doing it. And uh, hopefully we see it start paying dividends on the field. Yeah. I mean, it's another, I obviously recruiting marketing tool they're using, um, but they're using it well, I think. And, and they're really putting out wherever they can, you know, um, progress photos, whether it's physical like that, or, uh, you know, piping up the nutrition staff and how much the players are getting out of that, or, 
this week i think they were piping up the equipment staff and and they make it all sound a little sexier than it really is which obviously is <laughs> just means they have a great marketing team in place um and, and that's all part of the recruiting too i mean don't sleep on the fact that players you know they want to trust their coaches and believe in the football scheme but they also want to feel like they're surrounded by resources that are going to get them to the next level and uh it's exciting to see at least publicly finally seeing that all those kind of ancillary sides of the program being publicized obviously we had nutrition we had you know all those different facets under d'antonio but it didn't necessarily make it to the public eye and to that degree maybe not to the recruiting eye either so i love to see what they're doing yeah so and kind of moving on here uh last not last a couple a few weeks ago Scott was out for the week and I did a, a little breakdown of the Athlon college football preview and just kind of said, okay, here's, here's what Athlon had to say about Michigan state. Uh, and, and here are my takes uh, about their takes, I guess, takes on takes. Uh, Phil Steele is up next. I, I was looking through Phil Steele who this magazine is a beast, man. There are so it, it's, it gives you a headache just trying to figure out, what all of these numbers and statistics and every, everybody who's out there who has read a Phil Steele college football preview knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's insane. The amount of work that goes into this thing. He's one of the most respected guys in the business and, and for good reason, but there were a few things that I agree with a few things I disagree with a few things that I think are really interesting as we look forward to 2021. Um, I'll give some of this and, and kind of sky, you can give your takes on this as well. Uh, the first thing, the first place I want to start is just, you know, general overview kind of stuff. So he is one of the many, it seems like media pundits out there who have Michigan state finishing last in the big 10 East uh, behind Rutgers behind Maryland, you know, the whole deal. We have a, a few, he has first, second, third, and fourth team. Uh, so just to kind of roll off, we have Matt Coughlin and Jacob Panishuk, our fourth team, all Big Ten players. On the third team, he has Jaden Reed listed as the third team kick returner and Noah Harvey as a third team linebacker. One comment on that is that he has four linebackers on each team, which is kind of weird for me, but third team linebacker means he's somewhere between the what is that ninth and 12th best linebacker in the conference which I still think is insane but uh here we are and second team he has Jay uh Jalen Naylor listed as second team wide receiver nobody on the first team Scott any thoughts about those guys um Matt Coughlin should be first team that's my first thought (laughs) Uh, no, I mean, it's hard to predict right now. I don't think Noah Harvey's going to be up there. I think a lot of maybe the national folks who don't watch the ins and outs of every program don't, you know, they see him as our highest tackler. They see MSU linebacker, you know, traditionally strong position for us. And maybe he's getting a few bumps up in, uh, in the opinion columns there. So, um, experienced guy I, who has a lot of career tackles, like, I think Reed is going to be the number one wide receiver on the team this year. Um, I just think he's, he's got a little bit more of a toolbox to succeed than Naylor. Who's, who's great in his own sense, but relies a little bit more just on his speed. Um, But we'll see. I mean, having two wide receivers, obviously in the top three teams for any prediction is, 
an exciting thing to have, uh, especially given where our program's at right now. So obviously it comes down to who's throwing them the ball and we've covered that ad nauseum and we will continue to, but um, yeah, I don't, I mean, outside of that, I don't really know if they missed anyone. I wouldn't necessarily trust. I think maybe we'll have an offensive lineman worthy of uh, being on that list this year. I think Samak and Duplain are both, yeah, I wouldn't have been surprised to see like a, a Jarrett Horst as a fourth team guy, you know, as as coming in as an all conference player in a in a lesser conference, of course. But when you look at how many guys left, I I just think maybe that would be a guy who would sneak into a fourth team. But you know, I'm not too beat up about it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, on the defensive side, I wouldn't be surprised if you had somebody like Jalen Hunt. Um, you know, pushing, but I, I, I mean, he still hasn't really broken out in the fullest sense of the term. So, um, you know, just looking at his body of work last season, you might not see that. Um, but I think he's going to have a great season. And then our secondary Xavier Henderson's been around long enough. I think he gets some leadership points in the, uh, all big 10 voting come the end of the year. And I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him up there as well. Yeah. One, one, like, pretty clear criticism I have as far as like the the all-conference teams and and getting into that was just a really confusing part so he also ranked the units um so you know the quarterback depth chart basically for each team one to 14 ranked and the running back depth chart and and so on and so on and he had the special teams for Michigan State ranked number 14 in the Big Ten which you know, most people look at it's ah, it's special teams. Who cares? This is a special team stand podcast. Uh, just, just for the people out there, I submitted a vote or I submitted a request to vote for the Lou Groza award. So any support on that, just tweet at Lou Groza and see if we can get me a vote. No, but it, I, I believe in special teams, of course. And it was just kind of funny for me. I'm like, okay, so you have our kicker as the fourth best kicker in the conference going into the season. You have our kick returner as the, as the third team kick returner. So the third best kick returner in the, in the conference and you have us dead. So is our punter that bad? <laughs> like wh- where does that come from? That was just really, I, I think that was just something that stood out as, okay, logically this makes no sense because I, if you just count kick returner, punt returner, kicker, punter, I, I know our special teams were really bad last year uh, and, and it was aggravating at times for us. I think a lot of that has to do with just not having any practice time. I really do expect the special teams to look a lot better as far as punt coverage, kick coverage and that, that type of stuff. But that, that was confusing to me. I th- again, I think with practice time, we're going to look better than we did last year. It's almost impossible not to. Yeah. That off that, special teams unit last year was agonizing. It's something I think is lost. If you're not going back and rewatching the games themselves that, you know, it doesn't always make highlight tapes um, for these games, but it was a week in and week out, just straight up problem. Not like a little thing that was, you know, a little trend. It was a straight up problem that contributed to losing games last year. So in that sense, I can't blame anyone for not being super confident on our special teams, but yes, our specialists, should be at least par with the conference, if not better than par. Um, so in that sense, I don't think we have the worst unit in the, in the league. 
Right. And so a couple other quick notes here. And then there was, there was one really interesting part here as, as kind of something that he highlighted about Michigan state in, in the national sense. So uh, he ranked the toughest schedules in the country. Michigan state came in at number 27. So pretty tough schedule this year, but that was number six in the big 10, which just kind of goes to show you that the big 10 is a really tough conference right now. When you have teams like Indiana who are, or overachieving compared to their kind of historical rankings. And then you have the beasts, Ohio state, Penn state, Wisconsin, you know, all of these big 10 teams are playing tough schedules. Michigan state, you tack on a game at Miami in the non-conference makes it tough. And then the one thing I was kind of looking at as well is as I'm starting to kind of dial in my previews around the conference and I'm starting to kind of nail down some predictions. One interesting thing about the Michigan state schedule is I think there are four games where in the conference where you should say, okay, we either should win this game or it's, it's at least going to be very winnable. And that's Nebraska Rutgers, Purdue, Maryland. We get two of those games on the road, two of those games at home. So that sets up pretty well for us. A lot of times when you look at the schedules and you say, okay, here's like those winnable games, but they're all on the road and it makes it tough or, or something. So it does set up pretty well. I think that's about, you know, what I would expect is, is just outside of the top 25, as far as the tough schedule, obviously you've got a, a road game at Ohio state. That's just a loss right off the bat. Uh, Penn state, we catch them at home. You know, we've had some success against James Franklin in the past. We get Michigan at home. Uh, Obviously, we know what happened last year. So the schedule sets up pretty, pretty well for us, I think. And number 27 in the country, I think, just goes to show how good the Big Ten is right now. Yeah, it's a it's a tough conference to be good in right now. Uh, certainly. And, but I do agree. I think the schedule sets up nicely. I'd rather have Ohio state on the road until we can consider being competitive with them. Cause that means we get a lesser opponent at home. Um, Nebraska at home, Youngstown state at home um, should have some winnable games on the schedule. I mean, I I've started to get some gears turning around what my predictions will be for this season as we inch closer to the season. And it surprised me. I mean, we were looking, we're listening back to some of our predictions last year, and they're certainly tempering my expectations for this season, given how strongly we felt. But (laughs) in any event, um, yeah, it's, we're going to have an opportunity to put together a season we're proud of this year, uh, given where the schedule is at, obviously in reality, nobody knows how good or bad this team's going to be after the body of work we had last year there's just no way of really knowing until they're on the field, but excitement levels are high. And I think uh, we should have some opportunities here. Yeah. So a couple more things, this is, uh, and then we'll wrap this up and hit the quarterbacks, but this was something that I found really interesting. Uh, Number one was he took kind of a deep dive and he does this every year into turnovers. And he has a list of about 10 teams that are either going to improve or uh, deeper. What's what's the opposite of improve? Regress. There we go. Deprove. Um, Deprove. <laughs> and just based on turnovers. I mean, turnover luck is a real thing. Uh, not to say that some teams are just better at forcing turnovers or worse at forcing turnovers, or some quarterbacks are just more, you know, prone to throwing interceptions and all of that. But 
in his years of data since 1990, he found that teams with a double digit ratio, uh, so minus 10, minus 11, minus 15, whatever, as far as your turnover ratio, you know, forcing turnovers versus allowing them or giving them up, two thirds of them are going to win more games than they did the previous season, just because you're probably going to end up with less turnovers or you're, you're going to end up with a little bit better turnover luck. And that's going to result in the ball bouncing the, the right way and, and giving you an extra win or two. So two thirds of the time that a team had double digit negative turnover ratio, you're going to end up with a better season the following year. Michigan state was minus 14. So he has Michigan state just by sheer turnover luck as, as a team that's going to perform a little bit better next year, um, you know, throw in another win, maybe another two wins, which was interesting. The other part that he had Michigan state as kind of a, okay, this is a sign that they're going to be a better team next year was yards per play and yards per point. So the yards per point is, is a, a metric that he has to basically show if you have a high number, it's basically saying that you have an efficient offense. So you're, if you have a lot of yards, you also have a lot of points. Um, if you have fewer yards, you can score a lot of points. All this to say, I, I don't want to dive too deep into it, but he has Michigan State as a team that's going to perform better because of the fact that we had a lot of yards last year and not a lot of points. And that's something that traditionally, that historically is going to at least average out a little bit where if you have a lot of yards, that means your offense is moving the ball and you just can't get it into the end zone, right? And that's something that's going to adjust at least a little bit is saying that, that given the yardage output that we had last year, our scoring output, we only scored 18 points a game last year. So if it stays the same or gets worse, I mean, fire everybody, I guess. But um, basically all that goes to say is, is given the amount of yards that we had last year, we should have had more points. And, and that's probably going to turn for us at least a little bit here this year. And the same actually went for the defense as well where we gave up a lot of points, but we didn't give up a whole lot of yards. And that I think connects with the turnovers, right? We gave up a lot of short fields. So it's something that hopefully should reverse itself a little bit and saying like, okay, well, they didn't give up a whole lot of yards. It was a pretty good defense, but they gave up a lot of points. And you look at the Rutgers game where, you know, we were given Rutgers the ball inside the 50, like eight times. So I, I think that just goes to show of here's a few metrics uh, as far as statistically that turnover luck is, is probably going to even out for us a little bit more uh, given the amount of yards we had, we should score a few more points. And given the amount of yards our defense gave up last year, uh, we should probably have given up a few less points is basically what it boils down to. So all of that to say that Phil Steele, while he does have us seventh in the Big Ten East, he does have a couple of metrics that point towards us being a little bit better team just by sheer uh, statistical averages, I guess. This feels like the football equivalent of a horoscope. 
<laughs> the uh the predictive metrics we're getting into no it's fine hey you you've um, talked about reading yeah, tea leaves that's what we do here sure yeah no i love it it's my favorite weekend activity um we should be better i mean some of those games last season it felt like everything that could go wrong did i mean i remember watching the rutgers game and it was like literally every offensive play the worst possible outcome is exactly what happened um and it was just a sign of an, I mean, realistically unprepared team. And that's not an indictment to the coaching staff. It's just last season and a lack of preparation time and the new scheme and the new staff and everything led to a team that was just in way over their head. And with a full off season this year and a year, well, half a year of, of playing under their belt last season, I think a lot of those mistakes are going to be cleaned up and we're going to be able to see what this football team's able to do, you know, in a cleaner environment, I guess, you know, an environment with less just beginner mistakes. um, And that should lead to better performances. Again, he had us last in the big 10 playing better. I mean, that's not out of the question when you consider some of the performances we put up, you know, we lost to Iowa by 40 around 40 last season. You know, we could, we could dramatically improve that performance and still lose. Um, and honestly, that'd be okay probably this year if we lose a game like that. I don't know if we play Iowa this season, but a game no. like that, you know, if we lose by one score against the top Big Ten West team versus what we were doing last season in some of those games, that's still a dramatic improvement. Yeah, or Indiana, right? If, if we turn a 24 nothing loss to Indiana into a 28-25 to loss to Indiana, it's still a loss, but that's a big improvement. And it'll keep us... I mean, improvement like that will win games in other areas of the calendar. We won't lose that Rutgers game if we can, you know, be competitive against the guys at the top. So, um, yeah, it should be interesting this year. There's going to be a lot of coin flips, I think, throughout the the schedule, at least early until we actually understand what we're looking at and, you know, who's throwing the ball. So um, it'll be a fun season in that respect. Yeah, and speaking of who's throwing the ball, let's get into it. So some of the quarterback stuff, again, we're going to, generally be be a bit more um, narrative driven here there's a couple statistics that I want to make sure we bring up here but ultimately obviously this is going to come down to Anthony Rousseau versus Peyton Thorne and the way that I started really breaking this down and I, I was watching the Penn State game from last year the only Peyton Thorne start I was watching a bit of of Anthony Rousseau's Temple games and it, it is funny, man, because these couldn't be more different players w- with everything. I mean, the experience, the play style, the, the competition level that they face, it, everything is completely different. So whoever does come out on top of this job, I think we're going to get a little glimmer into the thought process of the coaching staff. You know, what are they looking for? Are they looking for that kind of pocket passer? Are they looking for that guy who can extend the play a little bit? Um, Are they open to an inexperienced player who can come in in three, four years of eligibility? Are they looking for the stopgap kind of guy? It's going to be fascinating. So I guess just kind of broad shoulders, broad shoulders, broad strokes, (laughs) thoughts here on, on the quarterback competition between these two guys. We'll hit on some of the depth pieces later on as well. Um, what are your first thoughts here when you're looking at Anthony Rousseau versus Peyton Thorne? 
Well, it's surprising to me that the coaching staff wouldn't already have a preference on the kind of quarterback that they're looking for, that, that in one, in the same offensive scheme, they're considering two so dramatically different guys. I mean, depending on who you pick, that pretty much changes your entire offense. Um, the entire scheme, the, you know, how the defenses have to prepare for you. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if behind closed doors, one of these guys has an advantage just because of how the coaches think he would fit in the scheme um, and his skill set would fit in the scheme. But obviously we got to make sure whoever that is can actually run the offense. So um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I think MSU fans have kind of wanted to be able to watch a dual threat guy, um, a true dual threat guy for a long time, you know, going back to Damian Terry, Messiah DeWeaver, those guys were so exciting when they committed because we were looking at them in a lens of Kirk Cousins and Jeff Smoker. And um, I mean, aside from Drew Stanton, guys that typically were not too much of a threat on the ground. Ryan so, Hoyer. Um, yeah. So I think Peyton Thorne has a lot of excitement around him for that respect. But at the end of the day, first and foremost, we need a guy who can throw the ball consistently um, to get that passing game moving. And if, if Peyton Thorne is, you know, just not measuring up to Anthony Rousseau, just from a, from a throwing ability, um, it's going to be tough to uh, knock him off that job. Yeah, I have a few notes that we'll, I'll hit on. I'll start with Rousseau here. But the one funny thing, we, we look at comparing the experience. I, I had this, that Peyton Thorne has 158 career snaps at, at, in general. Just whether he's handing the ball off, whether he's throwing the ball, 158 career snaps. Anthony Rousseau has 900 career passing attempts. So when you, when you tack on, you know, plays that were sacks, plays that he ended up tucking it and running or, or whatever. He's probably got around a thousand dropbacks in his college career. And so like the difference is staggering. It really is between the two guys. Um, but Rousseau, uh, just kind of some quick hitters. I mean, the experience is clear. He's been a three-year starter over at Temple. He has thrown a lot of interceptions and that's one of the knocks against him. We, you look at a guy that has a lot of experience, but has shown this not, not recklessness, but he's, he's shown this, um, this, he, he throws a lot of risky balls uh, and, and he has, I wrote down that he kind of has like a cocky arm where he plays in the AAC and he has this, mindset where I can fit, I can hit that window. I can fit it between those two guys. And sometimes he does. And sometimes he doesn't. And so he has a lot of interceptions and we can go back and, and I've seen posts about this. I've seen blog posts written about this. I've seen tweets about it of like, well, he had this many interceptions, but look at this one where it hits off the receiver's hands and look at this one where it, it goes interceptions are interceptions, man. And if you're throwing that many, it's, it's just, it is what it is. You, sure. You could probably take off a couple of those because a receiver just couldn't hang on to the ball. It squirted out and went into the hands of a defensive back, but I could probably go back in the tape and find a couple that the defensive back dropped an easy pick. So guys who throw a lot of interceptions, they throw a lot of interceptions because they throw risky balls and that's just is what it is. Uh, he played under, if we include an interim, 
He played under four head coaches. He played under three offensive coordinators and three separate quarterback coaches. That's a lot of different schemes, a lot of different information, a lot of different um, kind of coaching styles. He, he's just had to deal with a lot at Temple. And, you know, you can look at that as a positive or a negative, you know, positive sense. You could say like, well, he's, he's learned a lot. He's seen everything. He's, he's kind of, you know, really developed the intangible side of his game from that or the negative side, like he's never been able to get comfortable. And maybe that's again, a reason where he's thrown a lot of these interceptions. Um, I will say there were a lot of drops. Like his receivers were not very good at temple. A lot of really nice balls that he threw that just couldn't connect. Um, and the last thing is, is I have uh, just from PFF, the, their college grades. 2018, they had graded out as best season, the 79.9. 2020 last year was a 70.2, uh, but that was 24th in the country. So a top 25 quarterback last year, as far as PFF grades are concerned and, and kind of watching the tape. So I don't know, that's, that's kind of the, the quick hitters, uh, the, the bio, if you will, on, on Anthony Rousseau without getting too much into the statistics. I mean, Scott, when he came over from temple, uh, what were your thoughts then? And then I guess just from more information, more, uh, being him, him being around the program, has that really changed or developed at all? And, and how so? Yeah, I think he's honestly pretty much what we expected him to be up to this point, having not seen him on the field at all. Um, you know, brought in as a guy to compete against Peyton Thorne. I think coming out of last season, most of the fans, at least I felt like um, Peyton Thorne was a promising prospect, but still kind of a prospect in a sense that there's just no, there's not enough sample size to know if he's a guy you can build the program around. Um, and Rousseau was brought in as, as an insurance policy, as a guy who's like, listen, you know, he's not going to be Trevor Lawrence. He's not going to take our program to the stratosphere in one year. He's a guy who, you know, what you're kind of going to get. And if Peyton Thorne or somebody else on the roster doesn't kind of develop in time, it's the guy we can put in there. So high floor, low ceiling kind of guy at this point, you know what you're going to get. Um, and that's still what it is. I think personally, I would love to see Peyton Thorne win this job just because of his eligibility and the fact that, you know, he could be kind of the center of the program for a, a little while going forward. Um, but he may not be ready. And if you look at last season without – knowing Rousseau was going to come in and Lombardi still leaving, looking at where we would be now, um, it would be Peyton Thorne against Hamp Faye potentially, or Noah Kim would be getting looks. <laughs> I don't know where we'd be, but I, I think we'd be a lot more nervous, even though now oh, yeah. we still don't have a quarterback that would have been, you know, kind of gut wrenching. So um, he is an insurance policy Rousseau. And uh, I think that's still kind of where he fits uh, in my mind, but you never know what competition can do, um, you know, in a full off season. So it'll be interesting to see where this comes out, but I think he's still a guy that the coaches are confident enough to put out their first couple weeks while everybody else gets their bearings. If, you know, the guys behind them haven't developed enough. Yeah. We've talked about this, this kind of thing where the, the floor has been raised for sure. Right. The, the floor that Rocky Lombardi hit last year, I feel pretty confident in saying we won't hit those depths again. I 
desperately hope so at least. Um, what about Peyton Thorne? I like, I'll get into some of the kind of bio stuff if you will, but Scott, I know like we were kind of watching the Penn state game this morning. Um, just kind of going back and refreshing yourself. What did you, I mean, that was his only start. He played in a couple more games in Ohio state and Indiana. Uh, but I guess kind of refreshing yourself. What did you see from Peyton Thorne last year that made you think like, Hey, I I feel pretty good about him going in and starting this year. Yeah, well, he had some kind of Nick Foles-style streaky play. Um, I don't know if you remember the last two games he played in, so the Penn State start and the one prior where he played, I think, the whole second half. He had multiple, like, 11, 12, 13 straight pass completions, um, and it was really promising to see that. You know, you want to see a guy who can build comfort, build confidence quickly like that and get on a roll. But on the flip side, he had some really head-scratching plays. He would break the pocket early and then kind of just everything would fall apart and collapse in on him. And he made mistakes with trying to throw the ball in those situations, which led to some interceptions. And that's all kind of youngster stuff that you expect to see with a young quarterback. What's important is they need to grow out of it, and not everybody does grow out of that. So that's what this competition is good for, and that's what this offseason he's going to have to uh, figure out if he's going to win this starting job. His legs are a weapon, um, especially in relation to his competition. Um, And if he can get a comfort level in the pocket to give plays patience from the right position and then really use his legs as a last resort – I think it will bode better for him rather than trying to break out and roll out essentially before he even makes his first read or maybe between his first and second read. If he can get two, three reads in the pocket this season um, and really give himself a little bit of time, and obviously he needs that time from the offensive line, but if he can stick in there and really give his passing game a chance to thrive, I think uh, we would have a much more dynamic offense. So again, it's a guy that I think a lot of MSU fans are hoping uh, can develop in the ways that he needs to, uh, but it's yet to be seen. And not everybody can make that leap from, you know, a uh, quarterback who made it onto a college roster versus a starting big 10 quarterback. Yeah. For the NFL fans out there, I, I jotted down something where Peyton Thorne, there's a lot of parallels to Carson Wentz where when things were good, He trusted his support system, his receivers, his line. Things looked really good for flashes. But when the offensive line started to fall apart just a little bit and he lost that trust, and and this was something I remember that we mentioned on the pod last year, and when I went back and was watching these games, it, it was even more evident. There were times, like you just mentioned, where he had a clean pocket and he just got skittish and and. He's like, I need to get out. That internal clock was way too low. And that's kind of what we've seen with Carson Wentz and, and how that has fallen apart because he just, he, he never felt comfortable in the pocket. And that leads to a lot of bad throws. It leads to a lot of just mistakes. And I started seeing that with Peyton Thorne a little bit where he had a clean pocket and he's just kind of in, internally, you can see the little brief moment of panic was like, I got to get out of here. I, I got to get out and, and rolls right. And then the receivers have to break off their routes and, and the play falls apart for him a little bit. So number one, 
like you mentioned, the offensive line has to do their job and give them that clean pocket. Number two, he has to trust that they're going to do that. And, and that part is really difficult for a young quarterback without a whole lot of snaps. Um, good runner. Uh, you know, I remember the first play, I think it was that he came in against Indiana and he ripped off like a 35 yard run on a read option and Twitter exploded. <laughs> Let's go. And so, you know, that was exciting. He had that touchdown run against Ohio state. You know, he's got, he can, he can scoot. It's a little bit of Brian Lewerke, right? It's, it's not super electric. It's not Drew Stanton where he can really turn into a running back with the ball in his hands, but it, it's certainly enough to outrun a slow middle linebacker. And, and from the quarterback position, that's about all you can ask for. You can outrun the D line and you can outrun a slower linebacker. Um, and, and he can certainly do that for you. He knows what to do with the ball. You know, we talk about like the coach's kid, right? He knows what to do with the ball. And you can see that sometimes he just kind of lacks the arm talent to do it is something I noticed a couple times where, you know, maybe he's rolling and he sees the guy that he can hit and he just can't get it there. or He can't put it on the right spot. But when he has his feet set, when he, when he has a throw that he can make, he does have some nice ball placement. Um, again, back to that Penn state start. He had a back shoulder touchdown to Jalen Naylor. That was just a perfect throw away from the defensive back. He had a nice long sideline catch to Jaden Reed. It was the same thing. And that Trayvon Morgan touchdown triple covered in theory, a ball you shouldn't throw, but you have a six, seven receiver and he put it in the perfect spot where only he could get it. That was a really nice play. And, and that Penn state passing performance was the best passing performance Michigan state had all year, including that Michigan game statistically. So, you know, it was a really nice kind of showcase for him to go into the off season with some momentum. The second half things started to fall apart a little bit, but that first half, he definitely showed everything that we wanted to see from a guy who could take over this quarterback position and take over the program. Um, yeah, and it's obviously it's going to come down to these two guys for this season. Uh, the way is maybe a bad analogy, but I, it just kind of came to me, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna let it fly. Uh, the the Anthony Rousseau is like the band aid or the the knee brace. Let's let's say Anthony Rousseau is the knee brace, and Peyton Thorne is the surgery, where it's like, all right, you know, it it it's gonna take a little while here, but in the long term, you might be better off. And Anthony or Anthony Rousseau is the knee brace where it's like, Hey, you, you can get out there and you can, you can get through this year. And then who knows what's going to happen after that? I don't know, maybe a terrible analogy, but you know, Peyton Thorne with his experience and with his um, remaining eligibility, it's kind of that long-term play. And Anthony Rousseau is like, all right, let's just get through this year. And then we'll figure out what to do when we get a little bit of our, you know, a little bit more talent in for our recruiting classes and whatnot. So. Yeah, no, I like it. I think it's perfect. I'm, I can appreciate a good analogy and uh, it'll be an interesting season to watch and, and especially interesting if Rousseau uh, does win the job, uh, who is kind of in the competition next year. And obviously I don't want to get too far ahead. We'll get into this season. We'll get through this season, but what would be an interesting thought on um, Peyton Thorne would be necessarily the front runner at that point. You've got guys like Cam Faye, you've got Peyton Hauser, maybe. Your boy Noah Kim. Run at true freshman starting Noah Kim finally gets his shot. You never know, or another transfer. So, um, the carousel never I stops. I was wondering turning. too, because you know, that was something I did want to at least hit on 
where you have Peyton Thorne, uh, redshirt sophomore, Hamp Fay, true freshman, Noah Kim, redshirt freshman, and Caden Hauser would come in as a true freshman next year. If if Caden Hauser is what we think he could be, and let's say he comes in and he starts his second year, what does that I mean? Are these guys transferring out? I, there's just so much with this modern day of college football, especially at the quarterback spot, because there's only one of them where it's like, you know, some or if Peyton Thorne just really takes the starting job this year and he plays like he's a third team all Big Ten quarterback. Does Caden Hauser say like, uh, okay, like <laughs> maybe I'll look at some other options here because I'm not going to see the field for the next three years. Like there's a lot of dynamics at play here in the modern game of, of the transfer portal and stuff. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch. For now, we'll focus on uh, the 2021 season. We got enough from the quarterback position to think about right now, but it is going to be a conversation that we revisit uh, all the time at a lot of positions more than we would have 10 years ago uh, because of the transfer portals in and out. Um, yeah. It'll be fun to watch. So let's hit these over-unders. We've been doing these every episode. We're, we're having some fun with, with just a player prop, a position prop, whatever. We'll place an over-under, and, and the, uh, the other person has to decide, make a decision on it. So I'll go first here. I'll lead us off because it's related to the quarterbacks. I uh, wanted to kind of keep it topical. And it's going to be related to total touchdown passes. So I guess I tried to do it relatively independent of who is going to start. I wanted to give something um, a little bit different here. So you could look at this from the lens of, I think Peyton Thorne is going to start and here's what I think is going to happen or, or Rousseau, whatever you think. I got the last 10 years of production from Michigan state quarterbacks. The biggest touchdown number was 26. We hit that in 2015, 2014, and 2011. Obviously, that was under Kirk Cousins and Connor Cook, uh, two of arguably probably the two best quarterbacks in Michigan State history. The low number was in 2018. As a team, we had 12 touchdown passes. Uh, that was led by Brian Lewerke. He had a few rushing touchdowns in there as well, so it's it's not quite as bad as it looks, but it was pretty bad. Um, and the average over the last 10 years works out really nicely for my over under because it's 20.6. So I'm going to give you the under over under of 20 and a half. So over 20 and a half or under 20 and a half passing touchdowns for the, and this is not including 2020, by the way, the average, because obviously last year we only played seven games, yada, yada, yada. So over the last 10 full seasons, the average is 20 and a half. So I give you the over under of 20 and a half. Okay. So last season, our team had 11 touchdown passes, um, which compared to 2018 and 12 is actually kind of startling um, (laughs) when you mentioned that, but, and we have 12 games scheduled. So if you take that, that gets you almost to 19. If you take our production rate last year, through 12 games should be good 12 games because we get a non-conference with a couple of hopefully tune-up games in there where we can pad the stats a little bit so I don't think our passing from the quarterback position will be worse this year than it was last year (laughs) Um, so in that regard we're already pretty close to the over under here Um, 
and I can't help but think the offense is just going to be a little bit better at scoring. I mean, we had that rate and hardly scored at all. Granted, we had what, like two rushing touchdowns last year. Right. No yeah. I was going to say all of our touchdowns year. were passing touchdowns. So. <laughs> but that said, I'm still inclined to think we're going to be better through the air than we were last season. So I'm going to take the over. I don't think we're going to break that 26 or anything, uh, you know, put it in the 22, 23 range, but I think we'll, uh, I think we'll get on top of that. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I was taking the over as well, slightly just because I think there's a couple things our defense, I don't think is going to be as good as we're expecting as, as it is most years. So I do think there will be a few more kind of 38 to 31 type games than we're used to as Michigan State fans. I, I think there's going to be some positions where we're forced to throw the ball a little bit more. And I like these receivers, and I think the floor is, you know, raised at the quarterback position. So I think somewhere between 21 to 23 is probably we're gonna, where we're going to wind up. That's, that's my pick. All right. Yeah. So mine is also going to be quarterback touchdown related. And we did not plan this, but basically the exact counterpart to yours rushing touchdowns total rushing touchdowns by msu quarterbacks this season so i'm a little worried this is just going to turn into a who's going to start thorn or rousseau question but um i'll take that risk so last season the team did have two rushing touchdowns one was by tyler hunt you remember (laughs) that like super quick stanford uh jet sweep ran um against outside of that the only the only rushing touchdown we had was Peyton Thorne. Um, he had one rushing touchdown. So one last year. This year, I don't expect huge production. I'm going to put it at four and a half. Four and a half QB rushing Ooh, touchdowns. That okay. includes QB sneaks. You've got the big Rousseau right. sitting behind the offensive line. Who has got the legs seven career rushing something. touchdowns in Rousseau. There you go. So, so. um you got Peyton Thorne with a little bit of a, you know, a little scramble drill in the red zone possibilities, the little option oh, possibilities. That's a tough one, man. Because, okay, so four, you said four and a half? Yep. Four and a half. It, I think, so Rousseau does have seven career touchdown rushes, runs, rushes. That's, that's a weird way to say it. Um, in three seasons. Now he had two in just three games last year. So even with a less mobile guy, it's not out of the question that he could sneak five in there. I I don't think it's likely. So I think if, if you're going to say over four and a half, I think you would need Thorne to be the starter. I think Rousseau could easily give you three, and maybe four. I more than four when you're not a, a true mobile guy is a tough projection. But I think Peyton Thorne could easily get five. And that's where that's where this gets a little bit tough. Like I want to, I'm gonna run it back really quick. Uh, I'm gonna do some statistic stuff on the fly here because I want to see what the Lewerke numbers were looking like. So Lewerke 2019, he had three rushing touchdowns. 2018 he had two rushing touchdowns 2017 i want to say he had a few more 2017 he had five 
So we have seen it in the last few years from a mobile quarterback hitting over four and a half. I, the more I think about this quarterback competition, I I'm starting to think Thorne might actually get the start. I'm going to go. I'm going to go under. I just, I think the odds are, are more likely if you, if you say it's a coin flip of who's going to start. And then if Thorne starts, he still has to do a lot of work to get to four and a half. And I, I think the rushing game will be a bit better. I think Kenneth Walker has a lot of career touchdowns. He's got like 20 career touchdowns. Um, so I, I'm going to go under here, but I think Thorne could definitely hit that number. Yeah, I wanted to tempt you with that. Um, the problem is, like you said, even if Thorne gets the job, that's still a lot of work. Right. Um, I mean, going back, I mean, I'm going through the cook years now and everything, and that Lewerke with five years, really the only one I've come across so far where anyone even came, you know, sniffed that four and a half number. Yeah, I mean, you, but you'd I do probably think have, we'll to, have a, I know Drew Stanton had a ton of rushing touchdowns, but he was, I mean, he was a running back when he got the ball. So that was kind right. of just a different story. Yeah, so I would probably take the under as well. I don't think five QB sneak touchdowns is realistic. I mean, in that respect, I don't see why Connor Cook wouldn't have had those kinds of numbers, kind of a similar size as Rousseau and ability, maybe a little better runner than Rousseau and still didn't have like two as his top season. So I think Thorne really is the only guy who's going to sniff that mark, but just the chances of him, that'd be a really successful season on the ground for an MSU quarterback. And I mean, we just haven't seen enough to, uh, you know, think that's going to happen this season. So yeah. I'd, I'd and take it, the it could well, be something too, where, you know, as a young player, you, you, tend to rely on that a little bit more, you know, like you look at Lewerke, he had five his first year and then it, the number went down because he started trusting his arm a bit more. And, you know, when you escape the pocket, you're keeping your eyes downfield instead of just tucking and running. Maybe that's something that comes into play as well. But yeah, I, th- I think it, it was close enough that I think if you said three and a half, I probably would have taken the over and at four and a half, I'd take the under. So that it was a good number. I think it's tough. But yeah, I'll take under there. And that's probably a good thing in theory. Drew Stanton's (laughs) last three seasons uh, in 04, he had five touchdowns. In 05, he had four touchdowns. In 06, he had five touchdowns. So, and that was sharing a backfield. J.U. Kolkrick for a lot of that, too, who was just a touchdown (laughs) machine. So, yes. Yeah. So, actually, 2004. They had Kalkrick had five, Teague had eight, and Cobb had four. So he was sharing a lot of touchdowns with that backfield and still pumped out five touchdowns. But, um, but yeah, so it'd be a tough mark. It'd be great to see. Um, I think Thorne's really the only guy who could push for that. And even then, the only way he gets there is if his legs are kind of a, a primary weapon in that offense. You know, he's not gonna he's not gonna happen into five rushing touchdowns this season. They'd have to be calling plays for him. So. Uh, it'd be fun to see, but I'm not sure we will get to see that this year. We'll see. All right. Well, let's wrap it. Uh, we are, you know, like I said, we'll, we'll have something up on the website for quarterbacks as well. So make sure you check out standingroomspartans.com. 
And we have a lot of exciting stuff coming up. If you haven't, go back and listen to the Greg Jones interview from Thursday of last week. It was an awesome sit down, about 30 minutes, where we got to just kind of shoot the ship with him and, and talk about his time at Michigan State. Um, he's somebody who played under Mel Tucker in the NFL. He hit on that. We talked about, you know, his relationship with Mark D'Antonio, Pat Narduzzi. It was, it was a lot of fun. So make sure you listen to that. If you haven't follow on Twitter at standing room MSU and at Spartan Martin 18 subscribe. If you haven't already, if you're a new listener, make sure you subscribe. So you see us in the feed every week. Uh, as we start getting closer to the season, we'll start hitting two a week instead of just the one that we have been the whole off season. Um, review on uh, Apple podcasts. If you haven't left one already, we really appreciate those and share it with your friends because you know, we're, we're right on the heels of the season here and any of your former classmates, any of your former roommates or whatever uh, it might be at Michigan state, or if you're a current student, uh, spread the word, spread the good word of the standing room Spartans podcast. We really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys soon. Have a great week. Go green. Oh, what? Take care folks.